0: Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Let's do it. Well, let's get into this thing, folks. Uh, obviously an exciting week if you're a Patriots fan. The Patriots go down a win in Pittsburgh. Awesome vibe down there. The place is absolutely nuts. I can't say that from the first hand. It's more here than from uh, Bob Social and Zoe. Uh, And then all the other guys down there. It's just uh, had sort of a playoff vibe. I had to watch a thing from... I think I will say it that way, from the, the studios in Nesson up there in Watertown. So I wasn't on site, but uh, really uh, reminiscent of old AFC playoff kind of vibe down there. So uh, those, those games are fun to win. And now you could see it if you go on Patriots.com or any of those sites where they, they show some of the after uh, the after party in the locker room kind of feel. Uh, certainly, I've, I've had experience with a couple AFC championship games that we've won there on that turf in Pittsburgh and uh, you know it's a cool feel and uh feeling excuse me and they had uh, you know Hat and T shirt day down there and that's uh, that doesn't always happen for the division, not that not the hat and T shirt for the whole conference, but uh still a cool little feeling and a cool vibe and a very hotly contested game where both both teams made some awesome plays and both teams made some boneheaded plays that kept the other in it uh and then ultimately the Patriots made the most plays down the stretch and that's what wins your football game so let's just get into this thing quickly obviously this cannot be uh solely a, a Pittsburgh look back show we always do this as a midweek meaning we go backwards a bit and forward for the rest and obviously uh, as exciting as that was as important as that game was relative to AFC uh you know home field throughout in the event that the the team continues on winning. Um, it, it still doesn't count anymore than, than the next week's game. So Buffalo, it'll count just as much. You know, Jets game count just as much. So you, you got to win. They won 1 of, one sixteenth of the games they needed to last week against Pittsburgh. It's fun. It's extremely entertaining. But I can just simply share with you the, the, the player's perspective on this that's being barked at you by Coach Belichick and the staff. Awesome. Cool. Great. But that stuff for them was dead Tuesday morning. Enjoy it. Live it up Monday. Uh, go back and review the film on that day. Uh, but Tuesday, uh, especially after, remember, we, we've been talking about this, the 5 of 6 thing. They've been on the road 5 of 6 times, and this last week was a short week for them. So the ability to recharge and refocus is huge. You cannot spend till midweek, when I'm, when I'm taping this thing, still thinking about the Steelers. Now, we can. <laughs> fans can. Uh, but that's not how the team's doing it. So the Pittsburgh game was fun. It was nice. It was great. And uh, after you had your booze on Monday... Watched your film, went out, get back on Tuesday, start watching film of the Bills. You have some, you have some uh, awareness of them. But remember, Tyrod Taylor got hurt in that game. Uh, you know the Web stuff hadn't been as much of a factor, and uh, there's enough new wrinkles and things that they've done the last couple of weeks to make it need to get back at it so that's what they're doing and we'll try to do it a little bit like that here on the show all right let's dive in um, we're going to go straight through this Pittsburgh game and just kind of hit on the big plays and the things I noticed and uh, we didn't do sort of a question and answer kind of situation this week my thought being on that is uh, it was a pretty loaded Pittsburgh game so there's a lot to cover there and a lot to cover with a very important bills game on the horizon so I didn't want to cut into time um, even though the the, the, the the you know the tweet questions are, are fun and awesome to do but we'll kind of hit and miss those on weeks when we a a little less volume of the other stuff to cover so uh, check down to bell was the first big play of the game Um, and and it was surprising me a little bit that uh, as we saw the way the Patriots came out defensively early in the game is they went with relatively light run fronts. I I tweeted that a couple times and to me that usually means you got four down and and two guys in the box it's six dudes the seventh is a floating coverage player you almost don't even count him in the box even if he you know happens to get pulled closer to the formation just because you know he's covering the slot guy or you know two extended but you know, you're standing near the box, not really in the box. If he runs a route, you're not a part of it. If he, if he, uh, you know, if it's outside, run to your side, and you're extended against a two, you're not really the force player. They, they, you're kind of secondary contained, they call it. So they really expect the the defensive ends to set the edge when the front itself is made up of only six people. So there were a handful of those plays, and they they handled them pretty well. They got off the field, but the one play that gassed him a little bit was uh, was a check down to Bell. So that was a, a productive play early, and I think they. The awareness on him with checkdowns changed a bit, uh, you know, after this series. But it was a play that they did did you know they got got they got one on him early. The, the basic run stuff they stopped. The checkdown was the bigger play. Um, now the get off the field play there was actually just a three man rush. Which you know, I when I went back and watched it, some of the best get off the field plays that the team needed to make actually happened with less rushers. I know that drives people nuts. They want to see someone near the quarterback. They want to see them making plays that way by air quote pressuring him and uh forcing problems but uh, I don't think that philosophy stood up real well in this game because uh, a couple of their biggest plays came on times where they actually chose to do five. They actually chose to pressure, ball came out, gave up a couple of big plays. We'll talk about those as we get to them. But the lighter rush stuff, the three-man, got out of the series on that way. F- some of the fours, not all the fours. The fours were, this wasn't the best, I, I don't think, pass rush day, obviously, for the Patriots out of just four-man base crew. Um, it, it was pretty obvious that... Dietrich-wise, to me, is is coming off the injury. He's playing reps. Uh, there's a little, you know, I, I don't know if he's favoring it, but you can tell he's not completely full speed, but he's a tough guy out there working through something. Trey Flowers just looked rusty to me. Still made some nice moves. You can go back there. It's easy to find half a dozen. They're like, okay, great move. He, that's that's Trey Flowers. But then there's a couple other that he gave up that you're like, eh. You know, that's he's it, it let him work his way back in, and he will. But, you know, that's straight from the you know from the uh the training room to the frying pan so that's that's never easy to do you gotta suck it up that's the league and, and he's a tough guy and got out there and got his reps in but i think we'll see a sharper trey flowers against the bills and jets and you know maybe hopefully a fully healthy one by the time we're talking playoff games. so the the three-man rush one that, that i'm talking about that i brought this up on though is uh patrick chung with a real nice down the field cover on on jesse james um man that's Chuck's Chunk's game. He does a really nice job of latching tight ends, and especially in these instances we're six four six five guys, guys closer to my size that are they're obviously a lot bigger than patrick but he he plays bigger downfield he does a nice job of of making up for those deficits uh tracks the ball pretty well, uh, has good discipline as far as knowing when to look back and when to play through the pocket and all those kind of things. Chung's play against a tight end was really good on this day, uh, and that was a really big time play because uh, things hadn't been going so well prior to that um Let's uh, move now here to the de- next offensive series. That was a get-off-the-field play for them. Now, uh, the shot play to Cook's off-play action was uh, was really interesting. I thought Tony Romo sort of he, – he touched on something. I had an in-game note about this, and then it, it looks pretty cool back on, on Coach's film when you check it the second way. But it was sort of a double-play action. It was, it was two different ways to draw you in, which means it's going to really – Affects sort of two different classes of players there was a dive action which will affect your linebackers and there's a reverse action which is going to fit, affect some of your safeties on back end you don't know exactly what the coverage is going to be or wor- which help element it might be sort of over reading a guy that's reversing one from one side of the field to the other but they had the hard sell and sort of a dive action as as play fake and then the reverse action off of it so Brady's got a fake twice, essentially. So now you've pulled out, and that's that's as hard sell a play action as you're going to get. You don't usually end up with, you know, five out in the pattern on those kind of plays. It's two hard fakes meant to really grab two people. So Tom gets two peaks. Did the first one get the guys enough? Am I going to go to them? Or the second one, did that pull people off the other guy one? And in this instance, it was a deep over, um uh to brandon cooks big shot play but a little different this time you know than some of the shots we've seen in previous weeks where you're talking downfield routes that stay outside the numbers go routes you know little seven cuts which is like the flag stuff uh or you know stuff that that stays contained on his side in his little sort of quadrant uh, of of the route um the downfield stuff but this was more of a work it over in the middle with a couple fakes, and then bring him deep over from one side of the formation deep into the other side outside the numbers. So, cool play there. Uh, Brandon Cooks, uh, you know, again, it's you don't want it to be all that Brandon Cooks is, and he had a touchdown at the game, so this wouldn't be a good example of that. But, yeah, you know, we do seem to be falling into a pattern where there's one big play game, you know, at least one, at least one with him. So, it's good that they work those shots in. The best Brandon Cook games are when there's that shot play, and then there's four or five other, in the pattern kind of plays, uh, weren't as much of those this week, uh, but there was the touchdown. Can't get any bigger than that. And then the big shot play. So he certainly contributed, and that was a, a good move. The you know m- move the real estate kind of thing, flip the field kind of play for the Pats. Now they finished. Ah, cell phone ringing in uh, the show. Nice work, Chatham. Turn your phone off. <laughs> Sorry, folks. So anyway, uh, heading finishing that drive off. They finished it off with. Uh, with the Burkhead goal-line touchdown. Now, we know that Burkhead got banged up with the knee later in the game, non-ACL, non-surgical, hopefully to have him back. Um, and I think that's a very significant loss. Uh, he has a knack, and, and I don't think people should just dismiss it. Um, he has a knack in the short yardage game. And it's not just like, oh, anyone can get a one-yard touchdown. Anyone can get a two or a three. You know, those are easy, just get a Jag, get any guy. No, 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 no. It's that is there. It's a specialist kind of role because it takes a guy who's pretty explosive in the first two steps. Cause you really race to the line from whomever is going to fill the hole you choose. And someone that knows how to sort of tempo it knows how to hide behind blockers knows how to sort of be a little bit, you know, a little bit, a little bit crafty in there and, you know, get thin, get skinny guys that are sort of more square shouldered kind of tend to suck at this because they plow into the back of blockers they have harder times fitting into some of those holes so it's a fine line some of the smaller backs yeah they can fit in the hole but then they get bounced out of them burkhead's got a nice little sort of combination of uh real quickness of the hole when he decides to do it ability to have the you know so the vision to choose the right one and he also hides and slinks a little bit around around the backs of those guards the and uh you know chooses the right one. So you can kind of play a little game with the off-the-ball linebacker and then, boom, dart in and make it. He's done a nice job, sort of high steps through and, and powers through contact to make sure he's falling forward. That's how he's gotten all those touchdowns. There's, there's been some great blocking for him as well, but that's a loss. It's a legitimate loss. I'm not exactly certain who absorbs that role. Maybe Deion Lewis. He, he has a little bit similar running style, and uh, Deion is a fall-forward guy, and that's, that's certainly something to, to appreciate about him. Less so with James White. James is, man, get that guy in space. And, and I half wonder in the absence of Burkhead, now I know a lot of the conversation is going to migrate towards Gillisley. That's natural. You know, hopefully for his sake, you know, that he's, he's been toughing it out as a a good team player and trying to keep his spirits up and working hard behind the scenes we have no idea where he's at physically but hopefully mentally he's in there and hopefully he's gotten the good practice reps his ball security is great hopefully you know that's he did have a a fumble or two I believe earlier in the season but I think that's the only thing you worry about not that he won't come in running hard he's going to be vicious if he gets chances you know you you put a guy on the shelf for that long who wants to play who is a player they're going to come out aggressive ready to run hard but it's that awareness—not not necessarily do you have the ball put away, but you have that feel for people around you are going to be punching at it in traffic, and that's something that's really hard to to simulate in practice because you know it's it's not live hitting. So if Gillisley gets that uh, role, I mean it's going to be it'll be fun to see because you know he's going to be juiced to be out there. Uh, but I also don't presume that hey Burkhead's gone, all the Burkhead stuff's now going to Gillisley. I half wonder if James White's role expands or goes back to. Uh, to uh you know to whatever it is that uh you know maybe it wasn't early season or back to the super bowl stuff like that where the guy becomes a super high target guy james's role has shrunk a bit recently uh i think this shift could maybe increase it you know at least insofar as the 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 extended from the formation stuff where they use the back i think james can do a lot of that stuff much like burkhead does uh but James is a little bit different kind of player. I don't. He's not even, though I don't know who's taller necessarily, but he doesn't seem as long of a guy to extend out in routes, you know, to catch the ball, you know, at the sort of point of attack when a DB arrives. But he's a great screen player. I think your best screen player on the team is is probably James. Uh, pass pros, sneaky good. I think that's an underrated part of his game. Uh, but don't be surprised if, if sort of his volume goes up uh, with Burkhead gone as opposed to just simply Whole bunch more Gillis plays. I think Gillis will be active. I think his role will, will gradually increase, and they'll have an interesting decision to make when, whenever it is, Burkhead gets back if he does healthy. So, um, just became an interesting kind of um, interesting little dynamic there. And you, ha- you obviously hate to see your good players get hurt, but I think this team was built pretty deep there at that spot uh, to to weather this uh, while Burkhead gets healthy. Now, uh, third and five, uh, this was kind of an interesting thing, going back the other direction with the Steelers now having the football. Uh, you know, Antonio Brown, one of his first big plays of the game, uh, obviously before he got injured, um, he has a nice little catch and run plays, third down conversion, third and five-ish there. So third and comfortable. That's, that's a, that's, you really want to get this team into third and eight or more. Uh, five is a tough route. T- t- five is a tough distance with Brown because he can fake at the sticks and extend it along to be a downfield player, or he can just settle up with them. And you're, you're, you're trying to guard against the big play with this guy. So you're going to give him a little bit of pad. So. You can certainly see that in this situation. There was a little bit of pad there given by Malcolm Butler. He's trying to play on top of it and, you know, break. Break down, beat it, beat Ben, uh, beat Ben's ball uh, to sort of uh – the mesh point there with with the not mesh point or whatever when the ball arrives, so you know didn't it, ball beats him in good play good conversion for them. You need to be better on sec, first and second down to keep them out of that down and distance. It's a tough down and distance to beat them on. But the 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 funny haha, but not exactly good thing of that particular play. You may remember it if you're watching it at home is uh landon roberts comes in pursuit and you know he's trying to knock the shit out of antonio brown i, I completely understand it but he actually hits malcolm <laughs> and knocks malcolm off the tackle what would have been a you know maybe in a seven or eight yard gain ends up maybe doubling that and becoming a pretty good play for them and giving them some juice um then uh but you know this is and this is this is why that that particular sequence bothers me uh, because this thing ends in the play that you know I've been harping on since in the game and since after the game and all that kind of stuff I obviously annoys me to no end that just because the broadcast missed it because Tony and and Jim Nance missed it uh, they didn't see that the illegal man downfield thing happened or at least they didn't choose to review it Um, they allowed the flag to be picked up um, didn't discuss it I I don't know how one does that but but, you know and in fairness to those guys there's a lot of times where maybe a a producer's in your ear and he wants to talk about something else, but, you know, or they're, they're telling you, hey, we don't have a review of it. But in my view, you didn't need a review. You just, uh, you know, you don't need a different camera angle. The actual live TV one, if you just played it back, it's the same. Uh, it shows you everything you need to see. Uh, the right guard, uh, so left guard if you're uh, to, the, you know, to the defense's left. The right guard, though, for the Steelers, snap of the ball, fires off, goes to second level. He's going after uh, David Harris. And why does that matter? I tried to explain this as best I could in a, a tweet, but uh, I think it's a little easier to do it here. Uh, here's why it matters you can't have offensive linemen that immediately leave the line of scrimmage towards the second level on the snap of the ball if they do that as a defensive player you know they've taken one stride across two big strides across you know they're they're downfield it has to be run play cannot be passed i mean like they're they're coming right up at you uh that's how you get your run pass read i mean you're you're told as an as a linebacker especially the inside guys to read the whole picture you're reading you're reading fullback you're reading guards you're reading the back action you're reading the quarterback you have to kind of see the whole thing but the the predominant key it comes from the offensive lineman if an offensive lineman has four yards downfield in your face Mm -hmm. Shit ain't drop back pass, can't be. Well, at least not legally. In this case, they, 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 they threw the flag. So clearly someone on the field, we don't know which official, he knew what he was doing. He, he saw it. He threw the flag. Let himself get talked out of it, and to me, that's asinine. So uh, there is no good cause for why it was picked up. They screwed up, happened, whatever. But the reason that stuff matters is because David Harris, who is reading that guard left of center, and he's playing one of the inside linebacker spots there, he chases the illegal guard. And he chased him out of the pass uh, lane, which is where he would have been, right there in the middle of the field. Say if you're getting a a high hat, is what they call it. High hat meaning the the you know the 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 guard's body pops up, the tackle's body pops up. In other words, he's pass protecting. His his head and shoulders are up. He's getting in pass protection mode. Now some kind of guys don't do that. If it's going to be a screen pass, they they'll stay a little bit low. They'll sort of slink out of there. They move almost laterally to the line. They can't go you know just sprinting downfield. Um, they have to kind of wait, 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 wait. There's a pause to it. That's why they like try to throw the defensive lineman up the field and stuff like that to wait, 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 so they don't get themselves downfield. Um, but this was just snap of the ball ran up. You know, guy thought it was a run play um, for whatever reason. Maybe it's just because of Ben pulling it out and you know doing his own thing and checking out of it. And then they had a two man thing going on, but everyone else was blocking for something else. And it was illegal as hell. It matters because David Harris ends up being uh, the inside wide receiver. There, Rogers is running right. Towards where the help element would be, Eric Rowe has outside leverage on that route, and if it comes inside, slants, seam, stuff like that, the uh, <laughs> the uncovered inside linebacker right there just turns and pass drops, and he's right there. He can pick it off from Ben. He maybe affects it. He maybe makes Ben not even make the throw. It's uh it's plain the obvious. This is some this is football one on one stuff. So that was a big freaking deal because that's four points. Why? Because the illegal man downfield it was should reset the play uh should you know be a a harmful penalty there back things up and the the likelihood of getting back on track is very low at least for seven you're probably looking at a field goal from that point uh but they get seven and inexplicably so so that to me is infinite not to me that that to me factually is infinitely a bigger deal uh because it's a blown call than the jesse james thing you know unfortunately uh, that's the rule, dumb rule, however you feel about it. But the idea that that, that didn't get brought back or that that was allowed to happen was just an application of the rule. This was a screw up of the rule. Uh, and the most frustrating part about it is it's not just that they missed it. They actually saw it. Makes no sense. So anyway, moving on, um, uh, next series though, Patriots get the ball in and, and I got to point this out and it's not, it's not the hammer guy. Uh, I actually really, really like this player. You know, it, i talk about him a lot. Um, but unfortunately there have been some coverage issues up front or excuse me, protection issues up front with the offensive line. If I were to find one theme that's been, I couldn't find one. If there was, there's two themes, um, bull rushing, uh, over Joe Tooney. And, you know, I like Joe a lot and, you know, I think he's obviously a very good player for this team, but it's been a couple rough weeks where Cam Hayward is one that got into him on this one. Uh, and there were some issues against the dolphins as well. Obviously I think there's enough on tape in the last couple of weeks that, uh, you know, Buffalo guys are going to go back at him and and test him, try him. That's just how stuff works in the NFL. They're going to say, "Hey, you're a guy I can bull, you know, I'ma bully you." You know, and bull rushing just simply means you know dropping lower hands and helmet, get under the chin, just try to bench press a guy into Brady's lap. And there's been a, a, an uncomfortable amount of those in, in the last couple of weeks. So I just think it's something that obviously needs to get fixed. Uh, Joe's very good. His technique is usually great. Uh, you got to drop your butt, all that stuff. I'm not, you know, Scar knows the techniques way better than me. But just the point of this is it is something that from a defense perspective, you watch and you say, ooh, that guy's given up a couple of those. You'll have intercuts, they call them, where they you know, they, they, they create a play deck of all of the third down pass rushes or whatever. And if you see one guy that you can kind of circle that's given up a certain kind of route, or not, I'm sorry, rush in the, in recent weeks, your D-line coach is going to say, I want to see you run. I want to see you power him until he stops you. And if it doesn't, just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then once he starts stoning you at the line, doesn't mean just keeping his body between you and Brady. It's until he keeps you at the line, until he gives Brady that, you know, three, four yards to step into throws. If you're brushing him and you get him to back up three or four yards, even if he stays between the two of you, you've now affected the throw. You've made the port shorter for Brady. So um, it looks like that's something that, that they're going to see that needs to get better. And Joe's a good player. He's a smart player. I'm sure they'll be working on it this week, and uh, hopefully they get it right. Um, one of the other – I said one of two. The other, the, the second thing to me that's it's pretty obvious it's been a problem, unfortunately, is the gaming. Uh, and gaming is the two-man stuff, either – you know say a four man line one kind of game is between the end and tackle to one side, twisting with another, picking game a pick game where maybe the outside guy comes down and picks the guard, and the inside guy comes around the outside edge or vice versa where you know the the inside guy picks the tackle and then the outside guy comes underneath him and around it 's just those kind of little cross games you 've seen them uh they 're hard they 're not you know it 's not it 's not easy but um, and but they aren 't advanced stuff enough in the in the season where I think there's enough of them on film recently, unfortunately, that, uh, you know, the Bills are going to probably be putting an in and working on games this week and, and handling the two-man game. And this this isn't a point relative to any particular player. It's more just, you know, it, 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 it's been given up on left side. It's been given up on right side. It's just improving the overall execution in games. Has to happen, needs to happen. Um, that'll you know, that'll be, and it's passing them off, punching them through, keeping the porch clean for Tom, but um, it's, there's been enough times where it hasn't been, or it's been an issue. Now, I say all this, and this is always sort of the asterisk that you have to put in. You go back to the winning drives, protection was stellar, you know, and, and even these guys I'm talking about that gave some up, like Joe. Tooney had great sequences there in the scoring drives, where this wasn't a problem at all. All I'm saying is that the games will be a point of emphasis. The bull rushing certain players will be a point of emphasis. Uh, that doesn't mean that they didn't have lots of other good protections because they did. But uh, just look for those things going forward. Um, now there was deep ball that was given up by uh, by uh, by Stephon Gilmore against Mortavius Bryant. I wanted to point to that one because I think it's it's instructive here. We talk about this a lot uh, where you know, people advocate for more blitzing. It's it's always been a thing that I kind of joke about. Say, oh, you want more blitzing? Well, people need to notice the plays where the blitz gives up something that otherwise may not have been there if you hadn't a blitz. And I do this periodically when I find plays like this. And there were actually two in this game, I believe it was a score in this big play to Bryant, where they brought a fifth and they had no help because of it. And the no help area is where the completion went. So, you know, Ben Roethlisberger A very good quarterback, too, probably a future Hall of Famer himself. Um, And he got the fifth, didn't do much, but helped force the ball out to a place where there wasn't help. So, yes, it it pressured him. It made him throw it sooner or whatever, but to an area where now there's no help. So that's not always a good thing. Um, So Bryant just stacks Gilmore, runs a nice route. You see that length and, and speed that that guy has. Uh, and it's over the top of sort of the right outside the numbers where, you know, maybe if it's uh, it's allowed to extend a little longer because it's just a four man rush and there's no reason to get rid of it, middle of the failed safety maybe gets involved in that play. Or you're doing half safeties or you've got, you know, you're plussing safety to that side or whatever it is but that is taken out because they started decided to to bring the pressure so um, it looked like actually the -the over-the-top safety help was down to the bottom of your screen so the offense is left the defense is right Um, again it's a choice and just again understand every time you blitz every time or blitz but at least pressure the fifth guy when you bring five there's a choice so there's no middle field safety in that situation no top safety help so that's what kind of happens. Um, so don't be surprised by it. Forced a field goal there, though, to finish that series off. That was a good stop for the defense. Now, uh, I think this next series was, to me, and I'm going to say this sort of out front, uh, I think this was one of the best games I've ever seen Rob Gronkowski play. And I, I don't know if the stats back me up on that necessarily had the most catches necessarily or... You know, most yards or most touchdowns. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't that. It was. I think the degree of difficulty and the importance of the timing of a lot of the big plays when they really friggin' needed him. He was. He was. He was the balls. You know, that's where the. That's where the football needed to go. It did, uh, in tight coverage, occasionally in not tight coverage because the guy's just so good and he shakes people. And uh, you know, I just was really impressed with again sort of the degree of difficulty of a lot of the catches where he put himself in coverage to sort of find the area he needed to be to allow Tom to fit it in. Sometimes if you allow a route to fade towards coverage, you can make the hard, the throw too hard. There was a lot of just sort of savvy route running, quite frankly, from Rob Gronkowski. The other thing that was impressive is they were torpedoing him. You know, I know this conversation comes up a lot where people are worried about people diving at Gronk's knees, and, you know, the, that comes into the whole Buffalo conversation, that if you should be concerned that people are going to go to his knees to retaliate about the whole um, Tredavious White thing from before. I hope I got that name right. But anyhow, they're doing it already, folks. that's the, Look at Gronk and look how they torpedoed his legs at the end of every, just about every catch he makes. So it's already happening. We're already there, and he knows it. So what I'm saying by virtue of, of bringing that up is – he does a good job of protecting himself, as good as you possibly can. Now, you hope, you hope Brady continues to put him in situations that give him time, give him that split second that once the catch happens, to get his pads down, to protect himself. And, uh, you know, that's part of the quarterback's job. And the quarterback in this situation was doing a great job of uh, rewarding Gronk for getting himself open in the right places and at the right time. So that relationship there, it's tremendous. Symbiotic city with those two dudes. Uh, yeah, best quarterback in the game, best tight end in the game tremendous weapon and you know we talked about it leading in obviously this changes things when Gronk is out there you can't do that one robber stuff because that robber needs to find Gronk or they have to ha- play half safeties you know over the top of both sides or they got to come up with something different but you don't just get a single man with no job plussed over the middle because uh he needs to go have a job which is to find Gronk and I think that's a extra important or extra impressive excuse me because a lot of those situations where Gronk made catches, help was there. You know, it just late. Uh, Gronk gets his sec- separation between the two, which is which is special. That's why the guy's the best at what he does. Uh, on this particular same particular drive, they were late to Hollister. Y'all you, you remember that uh, the, the young kid Hollister, the, the the tight end, had an opportunity. Uh, this is a drive that ends up in the field goal. I, I kind of understand why Tom's a little bit late here because the what they had was double seam. So basically you have a tight end uh, lined up on one side and a tight end lined up on the other side. To Tom's right, I believe it was Gronk. To the left, it's Hollister. And, uh, you know, if it's straight drop back, if you just if the quarterback is already in the gun and he just has his shoulders sort of square to the end line, you know, and he's looking and reading the full sort of 180 degrees out in front of him side to side, you, you don't tend to turn. But that was hard sell play action. Well, I don't hard sell, but it's play action. So Brady's doing the reverse out. He's turning, faking, and then setting up. And when he sets up that way, he usually set up shoulders turn. Like you know, you don't set up straight back. That's more of a drop back spread offense kind of thing. But off the fake, off the reverse out, he's turned with his upfield shoulder, his left shoulder up the field, and he kind of makes a choice to look to one or the other. And, you know, at that time, both Gronk and Hollister are in about the same situation. So, you know, you're going to turn to Gronk. I mean, it makes sense. But the the one second or fraction of a second that he turns to Gronk to check that situation out, that's when Hollister got all that separation, stacked his guy in a minute, had really pulled away. Uh, And, you know, because Tom took that part of a second to look at Gronk and realize they had overcommitted to him. By the time he wheels back, it's too late. You know, uh, that pad, Tom puts it on him. It's a good, accurate ball, but it's late. It's just a half a count late. It shows you how little room there is for error when you get down in that low red area because... Hollister has to basically stop his route to, you know, to keep himself from running out of the back of the end zone. And that's when the defensive back catches up. He makes back four yards or whatever it is that he lost in the route. So nice right by Hollister. Um, in the event that that hadn't been a play-action play, uh, you know, Brady's shoulders have been square. I'm pretty sure that he chooses that and doesn't spend that part of the second looking back to Gronk. But he did, just kind of how the play worked out. Um, straight drop back, I think he finds Hollister there. In this instance, you know it's it's kind of it's kind of was easy to retrace how the lateness happened. Even though it's we're talking fractions of a second here, not like someone screwed something up. But um, good sign though that Hollister can get himself open down there. It'll be interesting to see him moving forward if he if they they are able to catch him on one. So now back to the defense side of the ball for the Patriots. Uh, there's there was this kind of play that I'm sure you saw several times through the game and thought maybe like what I was thinking. What the hell is going on? Uh, you know Trey Flowers coming off a rib injury, rehabbed his way back. He's out there fighting, uh, doing good stuff, uh, you know, just, you know, but you end up seeing him in coverage a lot. It's like, what the hell is, you know, a defensive end, one of their best rushers, best uh, front seven players doing out in coverage? And what the Patriots are doing is they're having their defensive ends peel. It's called peel, where it's basically there's not someone behind you in coverage. Uh, The defensive end rushes across the line of scrimmage, and it's meant to make the back stay in and, you know, worry that, you'll be a part of the rush but what the back can do to check you is leave and if he leaves and he goes with you then all of a sudden you go oh i got a defensive end on me and they did this little thing uh i'm i'm crediting jermaine wiggins here with the terminology you know wiggy and on, on our stuff at ness and he called it a wheel stop what they would call it so usually when the back wheels out he goes out into the flat and then turns up the field you know that's the the air quotes and the wheel route that people are probably familiar with from high school level Uh, but then a wheel stop is, is sneaky tough for defensive ends because, you know, you're first guarding the out, you know, you're, so you're realizing, oh crap, I got to peel with this guy. Are they going to try to throw a quick out to him and I have to undercut it? And then it's like, oh shoot, he's going to wheel it up route uh, or up the field. Okay, shoot. I got, I can't be undercutting it now to get back on top of it. So I got to turn my body and chase him up the sideline. Okay. Got that. Got that. And, you know, obviously you're running after a guy who's faster than you Trey flowers runs pretty good, but not like Le'Veon Bell. So you've, you're, am I undercutting an out? No. Am I now turning, just trying to keep up with a go or the wheel portion of it? Yeah, I think so. And then holy crap, he stops. (laughs) So it's, that's, that's a sneaky little play and it's tough to defend if defending, routes is not your thing as a defensive end that's not the case so a little outside linebacker might be a little more familiar with that but that's a great little concept you know tip of the cap obviously to pittsburgh for running that because i caught uh the patriots of the defensive ends covering that that way several times that's usually enough to say okay we can't we can't peel backs with ends anymore uh but you know again credit the uh credit the Steelers for taking advantage of that situation they did a nice job um, and this is again sort of my point on on Trey Flowers and man it's just just me following my notes I'm not doing I'm not going on my way to hammer this guy I obviously think he's one of the most important guys on that defense but I saw some rust there I, I as a left end rusher there was a, an overly aggressive rush by Flowers and it's good to be aggressive right but you have to keep your they call it outside arm free so you're rushing from the left side that means your left arm has to stay free meaning wider than what the quarterback could bounce you have to be ready to to bounce and and keep yourself wider than him if you get your outside arm down the middle of the tackle that sometimes can sort of engulf your left shoulder also that you're trying to keep free and then next thing you know you're pinned and the quarterback's bounced outside of you the pockets reset you haven't set an edge and that happened to trey on uh, uh third down there on that same series uh, the wheel stop happened before he breaks contain. Uh, does Roethlisberger for a big third down, uh, a third down catch there, a comeback route. And but the comeback route happens, and you say, oh, what's going on with the coverage? Well, usually that that route won't be won't be available from the pocket if the route is pulled if the pocket is pulled up. But because the pocket was broken. Yeah, the, the the sort of route timing's off, and his defensive back he can't be as aggressive on it. They kind of stay on top. So that's kind of one of those situations where the contain or the lack of contain kind of leads to what went down, what went, went on downfield. So that was a that was a rough little sequence there. Um, and then at the end of this thing, remember the drive ends off with the the third and goal lob to to Antonio. Uh, Antonio Bryant to Martavius Bryant. That was a cool one-handed catch that Bryant made in the end zone there with Stefan Gilmore trying to keep up, trying to keep up, kind of hang on him. But, you know, just credit Bryant. He's a he's a beast down there. Gilmore could have done a little better. I mean, don't be so grabby. Just run to the hip, compete on the route. Easy as shit for me to sit here in some podcast studios and say it's not easy against that guy. But I think uh, what would have been helpful, and, again, this is hearkening back to a point I made earlier, is that uh, – this was one of those other instances where they brought five there was a five-man rush they blitzed and that got the ball out for the crossing round and what would have been back there had they not rushed the fifth or maybe even rushed three and dropped two more you got an extra help player on the other side that brian would be running over to on that crossing round and it's not just a matter of a defensive back chasing in the hip chasing a really long player that if you're able to throw it away from him then there's no help over there pretty tough for that db So that's, again, why I'm always usually an advocate except in extreme situations of of going three or four. The five uh, on the couple instances they did it doesn't always help, Uh, and this is one of those. So uh, this is the the final drive stuff. I think we already kind of talked enough about this. Well, actually not, Uh, but let's see. Well, just the the general point back to the whole idea of Gronk it wasn't just that final series there were a number of other really tight great catches seam stuff now on Tom's left side uh bl- breaking out of play action stuff getting himself open winning an iso winning you know from from the from moments where there was a little bit of a scrambled element and he just had to get open i mean this is just a really good day for Gronk i, I don't care what the stat sheet says i know, i know he ends up with a good amount whatever that amount is but I was just impressed with how good the catches were how important they were relative to what else was going on and just how frustrating that's going to have to be if you're the Bills watching it going oh my lord he had a pretty big game against us he's on fire right now and maybe he's a little angry about some of the things we said of him about him in the media and you know again we know Gronk some of that, but um, Gronk is at the top of his game. That was some of the best stuff I've ever seen out of him. So very, very interesting there. Now the Cooks touchdown, uh, that came later on that same drive uh, down to the, uh, I don't know if that's, well, the way from the river end zone. Um, that to me was was interesting because as Brady stepped up, nice pocket for him there, at least ability to slide in what was the pocket sort of changed its shape. Uh, Brady actually had an option out in the flat where he could have dumped that and the touchdown would have came either way. But he chose Cooks on the whatever that is, a slant or some sort of in cut on the back line. And that's really, really good to see. You know, it's good to see Cooks get involved in a non-shot play, you know, and a non you know, non prescribed Come back on first down kind of thing this is like okay we're deep in the red zone we need other targets other than just rob Gronkowski. we need other targets and just backs when it's shaking a linebacker uh getting cooks involved in there is, is really helpful because now as you you know you look forward to your scouting if you're you're buffalo jets oh okay you know, that's another place Tom might go with the ball, especially as Tom's on the move. It's not just to come back and find a check down or find the tight end. It's it's Cooks. Cooks can be a there as well. Now, we've seen Namadola run the back line. We saw Hogan run the back line earlier in the season. Obviously, Hogan is, is banged up right now with the shoulder. Mentioned that a little bit on last week's pod. I didn't want to go over the top with it. I don't like the idea of highlighting something that somebody's dealing with, but once we knew it was deactivated, I went, that makes sense to me. Saw the clip. Uh, I showed it to you on Twitter there, but it's uh, – You know, he was dealing with something serious, which is, again, sort of a tip of the cap for him to try to fight through that thing in Miami. But it did look to me like the kind of thing, if you're favoring it that much, just off sort of mild contact, that means it ain't right, it ain't healed. Hopefully they build Hogan back up to get him ready to roll for the playoffs in a bye week, obviously, really helps a guy like that. Um, and you know, from Belichick's sort of cryptic comments this week, it sounds like Malcolm Mitchell is still in play or Vincent Valentine, quite frankly. And I think that, that matters too. That'll sort of tell you what's going on with Alan Branch. If it needs to be Valentine or if it needs to, or if you get the luxury item of Mitchell back, if he's healthy enough. So either one of those two could be addressing something very important and we'll, we'll kind of see where that goes and keep an eye on it. So, uh, Lee, our Lee, number 55, like he is, you know, he was story of the year, uh, especially a couple of weeks ago against Buffalo, um, you know, has has been such a really nice addition, has put in some really good reps, has obviously been disrupted. He's been in the backfield a lot. He's been a, a nice story, nice talking point. Belichick has really pumped him up. Um, and I think we have on this show as well, but I think this is one of those moments there was a real bad series for this guy, and it just, I think it underscores the idea that, The positive plays happen, but you need to avoid negatives. You know, you want to be the kind of player that has big plays and then neutral plays. Big plays and neutral plays as opposed to big plays and really bad plays. And on this particular series, Lee, on a a crack toss it's called, so, you know, you'll have like maybe the tight end extended out to your left, if I'm saying the left outside linebacker or left end, and you feel him kind of motioning in at you. You almost have to turn and address him and stop looking at what's inside go out, press him, beat him, beat him up on the tight end, take the tight end in the backfield. On this situation, Lee let himself get cracked, basically. Get him, Let himself get pinned and ends up going for a big run for Le'Veon Bell. Now, why do I make note of that? Not so much that it happened. There's obviously negative plays throughout the game. Everyone, I'm assuming, at some point had something that would qualify as, as relatively negative, but Lee didn't correct the mistake. and I think that's probably the biggest sort of learning thing for a young player that they're dealing with. In the you know in the in their film sessions this week, and maybe the Buffalo will come back at him and test him to see if he's got it figured out because they they built another crack toss later in the same series. I don't think the first one was a yeah, it was crack it was crack, and then the tackle comes around. So UA they call it or you know, you know I don't want to go into blocking schemes here on on a podcast, but the point is it, something from outside of you, and then the 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 run game moving to your left if you're the outside left binder because you didn't set a good enough edge. So Lee had. Uh, uh, trips to himself uh, three three force look at it as like a little triangle to your left so your outside linebacker the point of this little triangle of this three-person deal is outside of you in those situations I'd always kind of learned that to keep yourself from getting cracked don't stare in at the ball in the quarterback because that's going to come hit you in the ear hole you almost have to stand up and just go and press the punt man Kind of assume he's he's blocking you. That's why he's there. It's not like as you're gonna, the point man's going to pass you down. You'll be dealing with something behind you, and you're probably not going to get the tackle. That's why they put those three blockers outside of you. So he he just went to sleep on that and just bad awareness on that particular play. He was leaning in, looked like he wasn't even addressing the bunch, was addressing the tackle, and got cracked. And uh, that was another big play. So two huge runs there for Le'Veon Bell that kind of boiled down to poor edge, you know, poor edge awareness. And there were other problems. It wasn't the only guy having a bad play, but when the edge is that bad on a couple spots, it, it kind of can affect how the other blocks happen to people. You're trying to pursue over and a, a guy's turned right in your lap. Uh, it screws things up. And that's something you feel pressure as, as an outside guy. I know that. Where you don't want, you want yours to be at least neutral, if not, you know, winning perfect, because you know if you slightly lose or you get stalemated or you get turned, you're going to affect the next guy's pursuit. They're coming up your back, and they don't expect you to be moving towards them. You know? and if they are, then they're going to be pissed at you You know, because the operational whole play screwed up because you didn't do your job. That's why they say, do your job. Uh, one thing, I put this out on Twitter. I wanted you guys to see it so you'd know what I was referencing from the pod if you're hearing this back. But Brady was hit at the knee on the interception. And um, again, this is a Wednesday show for us. I'm not trying to relitigate Pittsburgh. I just thought it was interesting to me that... You know, we spent the first couple days, which was predictable after the game, people's reaction was going to be, holy hell, you know, Pittsburgh should have won, Pittsburgh got screwed, la, 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 which just, you know, to me – if there hadn't been that picked-up flag uh, on the touchdown that never should have happened, yeah, then maybe I'd be more willing to entertain that, even though it was the correct application of the rule. You just feel like, oh, they got unlucky. But, again, you can control that by just not fumbling, right? hanging <laughs> you know, the ball to the ground. Uh, and, and James didn't do that, so it, ultimately it's on him. But the idea, in, in review, that there's actually two plays that – Absolutely, unequivocally deserved flags that would have prevented two of Pittsburgh's biggest plays in the game. One's the Rodgers touchdown. One's the interception by, uh, I, think was, I believe the name is Vince Williams, something like that. Williams, a linebacker, made a big play, big play uh, in the middle of the field there. Brady can't really step in a throw. Why? Because he got hit in the knee. <laughs> not, and Again, I try to be lenient on that stuff. I don't like seeing rushers get rush flags. But that was pretty proto. You know, he went right at the knee. And roll, he rolled off of it. He didn't try to pile drive him or anything. But the first contact is right at the knee pad. It's pretty pretty blatant. And if it's even close, that flag's supposed to come out. The fact that they ate that one and the inability to step in the throw and the way the ball pops as he short strides and it gets tipped, I think, or, you know, it, it clearly comes out weird from that rush. Well, the rush is at the knee. Like that's that's pretty cut and dried. So, I think if you're a Steelers fan, if I was one, and I got family members who are actually, but I would feel really fortunate that two of your biggest plays didn't get called back. Uh, because letter of the law, they both absolutely should. It's not letter of the law; like it's a technicality. It's like, oh, that's actually points of emphasis. Those are actually really easy, blatantly easy, easy to be seen ones. Phew. Fortunate didn't get called back. That's your luck. Your luck puts you in the position to even. Be in a spot where the where the James thing mattered, so that's the reality of the situation. That's not bias. That's just a retelling of facts. Deal with them. Uh, now, as we head forward here, uh, one of the last couple things, uh, you know, sort of to finish this off, is the Alandon Roberts uh, needs to learn to tempo run throughs. And you know I love Alandon. He's a hammerhead. I love when he gets in there, blows up a fullback, blows up a guard, makes a pile, makes some plays. Um, but it has been a little bit of a, an issue lately where there's some guessing. You know, some run-throughs and some of the over-aggressiveness can become a problem if you have a cutback runner like you'll see with McCoy this this upcoming week or with a super patient runner like Bell who's just really happy you, you, you picked the wrong one and dove through something. So uh, you, it, Atlanta's not the tallest guy. He's not the biggest guy. So being patient and pressing a guy who might weigh 50 more pounds in you is, is tough to do. So it's, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world for me to sit here and, and critique it that way. But you got to figure out a way to get done like that because. Quite frankly, that's that's the gig. Middle linebackers have to tempo, can't overrun, can't be behind the plays, uh, can't take a chance behind the play. Uh, you have to be able to press and, and stay in front of stuff. And as much as I like it, landing, you know, this isn't attacking a guy. It's just that... I think that's probably something the best guess that they're working on with him that has not really gotten much better in all honesty in the last month or so. There's been maybe a little bit too much of those for, for some people's taste, but we know Dante Hightower's out. So your best guy at that job isn't around. And David Harris is on more of a limited role basis and Van Noy, who sometimes takes some of that stuff, inside stuff, he's down. So, uh, it, it elevates the Landon's role, and you get both the good and the bad. So hopefully he continues to prove. Hopefully he gets better at tempo and stuff and then keeps the hammerhead stuff with the highlight hits that we always love to see from him. So um, it, the, the, the two-point breakdown, I want to do this for you on the two-point play with Gronk. Obviously, the several amazing catches he had on that drive. You've seen and talked that about enough. Uh, but I wanted to highlight Gronk's work on the two-point play and how execution... Not just Gronk's execution, because he shakes the guy at the line, does a good job of getting open, but Pittsburgh blowing the coverage. That's why the two-point play completion happened. They actually have a safety who is, if you look, okay, watch watch this. I'll explain this to you as you're watching TV. To the offensive right, Gronk's extended. He's down at the bottom of your screen. He's got a defensive back over him with outside leverage. In other words, he's closer to the to the sideline than he is to the quarterback. So outside of Gronk to the sideline. In other words, he wants to kind of force an inside release. Why? Because he has a safety to that side that's cheating down. Watch if you get a chance to go back and look at that replay. Actually I'll tweet the tweet the video here later this afternoon. On the snap of the ball, guy runs right at right at the inside shoulder of Gronk. So basically they had it covered on any inside breaking stuff. The the cornerback, from my view of it anyway, I, I'm assuming the defense should have worked, was you overplay the outside because you have the inside help. So they're going to come. If they try to run that little uh, scre- uh, slant thing again, it probably gets picked off. Or it's, it's PBU, or Tom would have to go elsewhere with it. But why did he go to the fade? Because he got the kind of jump inside. And you never want to jump inside across the grass face because now where are you? You're on the exact same <laughs> side as the help. So Gronk is able to run an outside fade that never should have been available. If you're the corner, you just you stay outside, stay to the sideline, make him run something inside of you because you know you got that aggressive savior who was actually charging on the snap of the ball to get there. But, you know, Gronk put some silly shake on the guy, but it's the kind of shake that you shouldn't allow to happen. Like you can get shook, but, you know you shouldn't get shook to where you have help that's that's usually the general rule for players and I'm a shitty coverage guy I'm not I'm not trying to pretend like it's easy for me it was hard for me but usually I could overplay and cheat uh to where I knew I had help and that that makes you be you know that helps you get your job done uh when you get shook to where your help is well now they're pissed at you and you know they're going to take opportunities away from you so on the Simon Schuster or Simon Schuster <laughs> the Smith Schuster Juju Smith Schuster I struggle with that on his big play uh, one thing I wanted, you know, that ends up, you know, coming before the the whole James controversy and how the game ends with the two-point play and all that. Uh, one thing I wanted to highlight, and I think this is really important, is, you know, people, uh, several people went at me about the whole idea of whether or not that was a pick play and illegal and stuff. It's not. It's a, he's, it, part of the body's a yard, part's of the yard and a half. It certainly isn't downfield. You don't want to start doing the protractor thing on a yard or two. Uh, the Patriots love the pick plays low. You don't want to start you know, trying to play CSI and that stuff. That's that's legal, and I actually thought the the air quote picking guy did a good job. As as it arrived, he jumps out of the way. So he actually attempts to avoid contact. So the official should give you that. So the Juju Smith-Schuster play was absolutely... Legal. Uh, it was a good play by them. Great execution by them. Uh, but the one thing that could have prevented this entire play was Adam Butler. And you know, Adam Butler is a nice young inside rushing guy. Had some great rushes in the game. Good motor. Good stuff. Need him to continue to prove. And and, and you know, he's logging good time for you. Uh, but they actually ran into one another. They had a four-man rush, and uh, they were trying to do a little pick game It looked like with Trey Flowers on on the inside over one guard and Butler on the other, and they kind of ran into each other. So it was kind of a dirty little pick. And what happens like that is if your game gets screwed up, you stop. You stop, and you play volleyball because, uh, in other words, volleyball, you get your hands up and try to prevent any of these little short over-the-ball over the passes. So if you go back and happen to catch the in-the-end zone copy of that one, um, Adam Butler is right in the passing limit. But gets doesn't get his arms up, or it gets it up just a hair late. Uh, and usually, what I, what, at least Pepper Johnson, or old, old coach, and Brian Cox, and you know even uh, you know a lot of different people who have had his coaches for for line play, they always they always talk about you know if it's dead, yeah you can extend on. But sometimes just being in the passing lane, you know, just saying oh screw that this rush didn't work, I'm going to back out and I'm going to stay in the lane there. Adam Butler does that that little dump off pass no, it never happens. He's right there, but he's just a little bit late with a hand. So it's just a technique thing, but I think it might be interesting to go back and watch it and see how a hand up or two hands up or just simply playing volleyball at the line might have prevented that thing ever getting out. There was a great opportunity for it. Go forward, we know that the, the James didn't catch that thing, it slid, it's on the ground, that's the rule, whatever, moving on, I don't want to dwell on that, we're too late in the week for that stuff, uh, but I would go on also to the two-point play, and just understand that it is never smart to do, if you're going to do a, a, fake, a fake spike play, to run it back to coverage, fake spike, should be fade, should be outside, the last thing you want to do when there aren't other people running routes is send the route to other coverage players who have nothing else going on. You just run into the coverage. I don't get it. So uh, that should have been thrown into the stands by Ben when the the immediate quick slant wasn't there. Uh, And it, in my view, should have been an out or a fade anyhow. But uh, they screwed that whole thing up and threw a pick and threw his teammates and coaches under the bus. And, you know, I just... Not That unaccountable stuff doesn't, I don't love it, but it is what it is. It seems like they got a different culture down there, but uh, that happened, and your Patriots won. So moving on, uh, we will finish off uh, Buffalo here in a relatively quick, quickly fashion. Just want to touch on what, it, you know, basically what I think will be most different or what I think we, we should be prepared for as you watch and consume this Bills game to potentially be much different than what you saw before. We look back at the Bills game in, in, in Buffalo a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, whatever it was, and uh, the the sort of overriding picture there in that game was real difficulty getting the ball to wide receivers. It was like a really low target or hit rate on wide receivers, and it was a ton of back work, back work, obviously the big game for Gronk and a big game on the ground. So moving forward, and I think we should learn this from the other side, looking back from the Miami Dolphins, where, you know, the game went one way with them in, in New England and entirely different the second time around. I can. I think we can reasonably presume that there's going to be a lot of change in this one as well. The one thing that I'm curious about, though, is because Burkhead's no longer involved. Does this become more of a traditional run-heavy stuff with more Gillisley, some Gillisley, and with a whole lot of Deion Lewis? That was my little off-the-cuff prediction with uh, Patriots this week this, on this week's show that you see there on Patriots.com with Bob Sochi and, and Scott Solak. That's My feeling was that, mm, okay, here's the sort of floating, uh, the floating – personnel that the Patriots have to deal with and who they were able to get at them a little bit with Buffalo I think the dramatic game that that Gronk had against Buffalo and then you know then obviously what he's just now done after a week off against the Steelers I would think you would just be terrified or extremely stupid to not just exhaust the assets. Just say it, Screw it. Gronk can't be the guy to catch the balls the way the Patriots do stuff. Uh, by you know getting him, doubling him at the line. You know, doubling him immediately. Don't let it be a, a ping pong thing where you try to you know try to pinball. Excuse me, where you try to get him early and then allow the coverage to come there late and hope that Tom can't fit it in. Tom Brady has proven that over and over and over again. He fits it in. He's gonna fit it in. You can't be late. You'll never get it done. Uh, so I I I think I'm guessing that. They will have to make pains to take away Gronk. Maybe that means the defensive ends hitting him each route, and then the double comes something. But if you get yourself beat by Rod Gronkowski this week as the Buffalo Bills, after what he's done the last two times he stepped on the field, you just screwed up. Because I think no matter how good the player is, any great player can be taken away with two bodies that are dedicated right at the line right away because the quarterback won't go there. Uh, but if you play it a little softer, you play it, you get a little cute with it, They'll toast you. So I'm half guessing. Sean McDermott, good coach, smart coach. That that they're gonna have to give the focus there. If they don't, you know, it's gonna be problems. So let's presume that they do for just the purpose of this this little guessing exercise. What's next? And to me, that's you know Brandon Cooks didn't have a great day that day. Best of my recollection, anyway. And I don't. It wasn't a big day for your coverage guy or your, your wide receivers in general. Um, but now with Gronk back, uh, you know, and and maybe drawing that extra coverage, I think it opens up some of the play-action stuff off of it, so maybe they can increase the targets to Kenny Britt. Maybe he'll get a couple balls this week, as opposed to just the one that he got a sort of toe in the water a week ago. Dorsett seems to catch a ball every week, or at least get mildly involved. I'm curious to see if the off-play-action expansion happens with Cooks, Britt, Dorsett. Those guys who didn't get those balls the last time, do they find ways to get them open now cross them you know, find ways to sort of beat coverage create sort of new unique ways within there to, to pick people to to create levels and sort of the route tree stuff uh, just ways to you know Josh McDaniels as creative as they come can they find ways to get those guys open are they willing to to make them a focus of the offense in a week where you know they're probably gonna take away Gronk and challenge you or test or, or you know I guess uh Yeah, challenge you to to go ahead and go to those wide receivers more. See if you can connect on the one on one stuff, and you know all the talk about Tre'Davious White and what he might do with Gronk. I mean, do you really want your top cornerback or one of your better cornerbacks on Gronk all day? Probably not. Uh, So maybe they won't be near one another much anyhow. So or maybe they will. Who knows? but i'm looking for a big traditional run game uh go get these guys and get that part of the game fired back up we saw how good some of the blocking combinations could be with Gronk and Solder with Gronk and uh, Dwayne Allen with to- Tooney and 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 uh and Solder and Shaq Mason all over the place the cycle with the right tackle i mean i just think there's a lot of good run blockers in that Patriots crew right now in a nice home game where they move bodies, move flesh in a cold weather game in December. That just, that just makes sense to me at this time of year, especially in the event that it's cold and and ball handling becomes a thing. Look for the run game. We'll see if it goes that way. Now, defensively, we know that that first Bills game, the offense was almost non-existent. Uh, And part of that is Tyrod Taylor did get banged up in game. Peter came in later, but they did a really nice job of, of containing the big play. Everything was top down, Uh, tune things up, tighten things up once you cross midfield. The one guy who's most different, really two guys that are most different to this matchup relative to the first time you saw the Bills, Kelvin Benjamin, back and healthy, healthy enough to be out there, presumably. Uh, But that's the one matchup that I think Stephon Gilmore will draw draw that he didn't have to do the first time around as he went out there. So Gilmore has been drawing your bigger, taller athlete guy. Now, had some nicks and scrapes or whatever against Martavius Bryant. He won a couple plays against some big plays and had a big impact in the game. So I half wonder if the Bills, and you're watching back that film, you're saying, oh, okay, I got a guy. You know, uh, maybe we test him with Benjamin. You know they're going to want to do that because you remember the end of the Bills game – they went at him several times down the stretch, almost as if the game 's out of reach but let 's see if we can get a a player two or three uh, on our old teammate here so that uh, that won 't surprise me if they test uh, they test Gilmore with Benjamin. And that doesn't mean just one-on-one solo stuff that maybe create the route, you know, help help pick him or help uh, move Bell- Benjamin around. I know he's not big on that, but, you know, somehow, some way within the tree to create some space or either just do 50-50 balls and see if Benjamin can win them. But that's an important element for their offense. Tyrod throws a pretty nice, steady, deep outside ball. And uh, Benjamin's the kind of guy to go get it too. I think that's in part why he was added to this team and uh, can be a big factor in there if, if used correctly. So that'll be a nice challenge. Um, I also look at, Charles Clay, who was technically hell, technically playing, I believe, the last time they played, but just coming off that knee injury, kind of modestly involved with what they do. Clay was a huge part in the, the, the September, mid-October stuff until he banged up the knee. I know because I had him on fantasy. <laughs> it's kind of a weird way to know these things, but that's, that's the world we now live in. Uh, but Charles Clay, improving health, becoming a bigger part of the offense, and a guy that Tyrod Taylor likes to go to as things break down. So how they cover clay no broken plays with him no broken plays with mccoy and sort of check down back over the ball stuff angles uh the wheel stuff we'll stop after they saw the patriots do it a handful of times against them with bell uh but you know really how they account for mccoy clay mccoy clay mccoy clay benjamin i think will sort of be your story of how these things go down now they've obviously seen edge issues become a a quiet theme uh, more so even more so against the steelers uh, so I, I tend to think that that's going to get tested a lot. So how they handle their edges. Is is Van Noy healthy enough to be back? Who knows? You know, continuing to if he re-aggravates a, a calf, you know, it just kind of depends on how he tests that thing in practice and whether or not he's ready to roll on it. The last thing you want to do is re-injure a you know, second time, make it a, a third stop on, on the injury list. So, you know, th- th- I'm sure they'll now be more cautious with him since they know that that wound has reopened once. Uh, but if for some reason he's able to be back, you know, I think you have a little bit smarter player on the—I don't say smarter, but more experienced player on the edge uh, to you know go against what I presume will be an area that's tested because they've shown some vulnerability there in the last couple weeks. So edge runs, uh, broken plays to McCoy, broken plays to Clay, and testing downfield stuff with Benjamin, pocket control with Tyrod Taylor, always important. Uh, but you know, it has is as athletic as he is, as way he resets pockets and can make downfield throws. It's not as if he's rushing for 50, 75 yards a game like like a Cam Newton. He certainly has the ability to do it, but they just don't do it that much with him. So you want to avoid the game breakers with him. Get after him in a traditional sense. Keep him in that room. Force the incompletions. Turn this into a running game, running game, running game that you stop and force him in third and longs. (coughs) And there's your Christmas cough. Man, I've been fighting this throat all day. But um, it's that time of year, folks. And uh, we're going to head now here out of the show. I just wanted to leave you with a couple thoughts for this game. And obviously it's a huge game because of what it means relative to that particular opponent. I think the Bills still have a fighting chance, obviously, for this playoffs. This game means a ton to them. Winning in New England in December. Whew, man, that's hard. I know that as an opponent. I know that as a as a as a teammate on, on that team. One thing I will say is I think this is good practice for Lord knows what offense you'll get down the road in the playoffs. Maybe you get Tennessee, uh, where there are enough similarities there. You don't have the jump cut back, back like LaShawn McCoy, but you do have a heavy tight end offense uh, with, um, blank on his name, real good vet tight end there in Tennessee. Uh, running game is big. Henry and Murray provide a different look than what you get with McCoy. But mobile quarterback, Uh, that's that, if it's either Tennessee or Kansas city, you get a lot of the same sort of carryover. So those will be interested parties that are holding that tape and watching to see how things come out here with the bills because the bills, you know, parallel profile in a lot of, a lot of different ways. So. I think this thing has carry over to how you handle those kinds of teams, and there's a couple of them out there that might be opponents. We'll see. In the event that they are, I think they'll be walking, looking back to this Bills game to see how the Patriots handle several, several of the, the things that that they also do themselves. So look at it a little bit through that lens. You know, hopefully the Patriots have corrected some of the stuff that's come up against them in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we went through that long stretch of six, seven, eight, whatever it was, great weeks of defense, keeping them seventeen or under. It's been two weeks where the numbers crept up, and that's not good. We know that a part of that is is health. But at some point, that stops being an excuse. You just have to play with who you got. So we'll be watching for Alan Branch. If he can a- ever get back, we'll obviously be watching for Van Noy If he can ever get back, Ricky Jean's Francois, which uh, you know came back in off the street, played, I thought, pretty good in the, in the, in the reps that he got. Maybe that means an increased, re- excuse me, increased role there. Uh, maybe just the general health of the whole crew improves and they make the corrections on the edge and then the, some of the tackling stuff that has come up. But all that stuff needs to happen. I, I think the Patriots really need to just get that good taste back in their mouth for another sub-20 points game, the, the, the place where they want to be. You know, I think Bills are you know, not an overly explosive offense. They've got some ability to do some things, but you don't want to win this game. You, know, you want to win. I mean, Belichick will be the first one to tell me that. He'd slap the shit out of me for, for saying it this way. You, you want to win. That's all that matters. But I, I don't think you want to win 33-30 to against the Bills. I, don't, I think you'll feel like you left something out there. So defensively, and that's me, the pause is there, sorry people, or me sucking down water, my throat is killing me. Uh, but you know, don't don't cry for me. I think I'll live. <laughs> All right, but anyway, I think that's your Bill's wrap-up in, in a nutshell of uh, the stuff I saw in film that uh that that interests me is is the edge stuff, the matchup stuff based upon who the personnel is now different to what you saw in the first time. How Tyrod Taylor will be able to move around with that knee and if the Patriots go after him aggressively or if they play it sort of heavy pocket control. And the Patriots offense, I think you're going to see a dramatically different approach. It was non-wide receiver before. I think you've got to get him involved now. I'm pulling on my cord here saying heavy, heavy Dion Lewis Day. We'll see how it goes. Once again, as always, thank you so much for checking in with us on the Real Thing Patriots podcast. You know you can find the show if you like to just subscribe to it on iTunes or on the blog talk. Radio Network. It's blog talk, blogtalkradio.com. Subscribe to it. Maybe give this as a little free present to a friend. Friend, family, throw it out on Facebook, on Twitter. Encourage people to continue to subscribe to this thing. We've been seeing our audience creep up throughout the year. It's a nice, solid group. We'd love to see it double, triple, and whatever else, whatever other multiple we can come up with. But um, most importantly, even in the absence of growth, I love your listenership to begin with. I love doing the show. I love diving into the details with you. I hope you learned something from this one. Uh, And, yeah, I should touch on this on the way out the door. I'll get into the whole Matthew Slater Hall of Fame thing uh, as an off-season topic. It's not an in-season one. I know I tweeted about it and I made people go go a little nutso. But as long as you know this, I'm right. They're wrong. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football Insight by Football Players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.